Hello and welcome back to Brain Dump. I hope you guys are well. If you can't tell, I'm actually quite ill while I'm recording this and unfortunately very COVID-like symptoms as well. So I've had a test and I'll let you guys know what happens. It would be quite cool to say that I survived the disease that was causing this pandemic, assuming that I survive, but I have plenty of faith that I will. Anyway, this episode of Brain Dump features the wonderful Gemma Turner, I first met Gemma at a Let's Talk event where we were discussing disabilities and instantly knew that I really wanted her on the podcast. She just had a way of articulating herself that was really, really good, really, really lighthearted. And I thought she showed incredible self-awareness. And you can tell from the podcast how wise she is. So I really, really valued that. And it was an absolute pleasure to have her on the on the show. And I hope you guys think the same. Without further ado... This week's episode, we have Gemma. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Brain Dump. This is a podcast where we talk about life from the meaningful to the, to the extreme. extreme. Thanks, Gem. Thanks for coming on the show. Like, I really appreciate you taking the time. You know, it's awesome. No props. Um, so before we get into like the heart of the podcast, I normally ask guests three random questions just to sort of get an understanding of what you like and just general vibe for Gemma, really. So when you listen to music, do you focus on the words or the music itself? Oh, definitely not the words. Um, funny story about this because I've got a friend who like when she listens to music, she like says, oh, this is about when... You know, like Bruno Mars first met his one true love, and I'm like, what? I'm just like listening to like you know the song Talking to the Moon, mm-hmm. um, and she's like, oh, it's so heartfelt, and I'm like sat there going like, moon. So yeah, <laughs> definitely the music rather than uh, the words. I'm very like a literal person in that sense. Okay, cool. And um, which of your parents are you more like? Do you think, and why? This is hard. Um, I'm definitely like my mum because she's very like, we save the same things and stuff. But in the sense that like my dad's an engineer, is very logistical and I feel like I've taken that side as well because, well, you wouldn't know for setting up this bloody podcast, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've sort of had to be logistical as well. So I think it's kind of like environment-wise, you know, like fixing my chair and stuff like that so I think I've got a little bit of both really but in terms of personality definitely my mum you know she comes out with some right crackers and unfortunately I've just taken that on as well it's certainly a good thing like I, I found you very very funny and every time we've interacted together and what makes you happy oh very little things like everybody says that about me that it doesn't take much what makes me happy a good cup of tea but you know like it's got to be good like, if it's bad, that makes or breaks my day. <laughs> oh, my days. Yeah, it's bad. And then I think, like, just a little comforts. Like, I love to be cosy. I really love lights. You know, like, if I've got a nice ambience mm. in, the, in the house. So, yeah, not much. And then socialising my friends, which obviously is hard at the minute. But people, I get my energy from people around me. So, yeah. Would you say you're much more of an extrovert? Oh, God, yeah. To the point where I don't know where it came from because all my family are, like, introverts. And I think sometimes I just think, like, where did this come from? I am, like, singing all the time. The other day I was, like, 
singles on the... Just kept repeating. Oh, banger. Because it's on TikTok, people are singing, like, the old songs. Uh-huh. And then my family were just like, what? What is going on? But I just get my energy from being loud and... But I'm not like that all the time. I have my quiet times as well. How have you been, anyway, since uh, last time? I've been good. Um, what have I been up to? Not much, really. Just working, keeping warm, you know. Been doing some filming today. Oh, cool. What have you been filming? I did this thing for a primary school, and they were asking about careers and why you should listen at school. Oh, cool. So I had to do this thing to be like, I'm glad I went to school because I did English, and now I write blogs and blah, blah, blah. So it was quite a nice little thing to do. That's really cool. School is really, really good, but being dyslexic was so hard. <laughs> would you change anything? I would change the school I went to, I think. Well, I don't know. It's such a catch-22. Like, I went to a really, really nice school because of dyslexia. Like, they gave me lots of extra English support and things like that. But it was so competitive. So, like, if you weren't a somebody, you were a bit of a nobody. It was just so teenage sort of competitive angst that I think was really toxic. But, yeah, apart from that, it was actually grateful for the fact that I you know, had the reading and writing support that I otherwise wouldn't have had. But yeah, what about you? Would you have changed much about school? I'd have told myself to just stop crying. Like, I cried at everything. Literally, yeah. If I didn't know an answer, I'd cry. If I didn't have the right sandwiches, I'd cry. Like, I just hated fuss. So if anybody gave me any fuss, I'd be like, please back off. And, you know, I'd cry. So, yeah. But you can't help it, can you, when you're a kid? And why do you think that was? Were you just anxious or...? Yeah, I think because people gave me so much attention and I hated people, like, fussing over me, it was just too much. You know, teachers would constantly be like, oh, put your coat on, you'll be cold, or, you know, constantly watching me more than other people. And I think it just created a bit of a... I don't know, I felt like people were watching me more than other people, which, I don't know, probably wasn't the case, but... Yeah, it's just a weird, weird thing, but... Being a bit smothered, I think, can be quite a lot, really. Especially when you've got friends, you know what you want to do. You don't necessarily need anyone telling you what to do. It's like, I knew what I wanted. So if someone was like, oh, come here, let me do that for you, I'd be like, no. And instead of just saying no, I'd get upset and, you know, like that angry cry. Because you strike me as a very, very independent person. And I think when that's being sort of squandered a bit by other people which is out of your control i can imagine that being really frustrating yeah it was it's almost like you knew the person you wanted to be in the back of your mind but i had to practice telling people what i needed Mm -hmm. and it's only taken until like 18 19 20 until i'm like actually no can we just stop everything stop doing that i'll do it but you know it it takes time and no one's perfect Unfortunately. It comes down to what we've spoken a lot about is communicating your needs and enforcing your boundaries. I think you're very wise that being able to, to figure that out because I think there's people, you know, in their late 50s who are still trying to work it out. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, you know, there's still growth, there's still room to do it. But I think boundaries for me was, I was talking about it the other day to my mum, like, 
that's the one thing that I'm really pleased that I've learned. But I think when you're disabled, you have to learn it a little bit more. You know, when people ask intrusive questions, I don't know, you'll meet strangers and they just say, can you walk? Can you not walk? Like, those questions are not something that I am okay with answering. And no matter what the intention is, trying to be a nice person or if you're just trying to learn, like, there's a time and a place for that. So, yeah, I've had to learn from a really young age to be like, I'm not answering that. Um, and yeah, it's quite, once you get it, I get such a thrill from it and I'm like, come home, like, guess what I did today? But, you know, you shouldn't have to do that. And But it's a good skill and now I use it, you know, with friends and, yeah, skill that, that's really helpful oh definitely it's something that i've only really kind of become aware of and then started enforcing in the last like two or three years like i think boundaries gets thrown around as a bit of a buzzword but it wasn't until i started really sort of wanting to pursue personal growth and development in that way that i started really understanding what actually people mean by that i read a really really good book called women don't Are you pretty by florence given and it's, it's a it's all about feminism but she talks a lot about boundaries and it just kind of made sense i was like yeah like of course you want to protect your energy because otherwise people do walk all over that whether they mean to or not i don't know i always think like if someone said it to me like oh actually i don't want to do that or I don't feel good when people do that. I'd be like, absolutely no problem, I'm so sorry. So why do I tell myself that I can't tell other people? Mm-hmm. It's a really healthy thing that we should all do, so yeah. Especially protecting your energy, because when I'm out and about, it takes a lot of energy just to do what I need to do. So if someone's going to take more energy, I'm like, absolutely not, see you later. So yeah, it's something that I'm constantly trying to to keep up and sometimes it slips and I'll tell somebody something personal and I'll be like why did I say that so it's not always straightforward it goes up and down and I think if someone's trying to practice it don't push yourself to get it down and that's it you'll forever be boundaried all the time Mm -hmm. I think that's really true the thing I think that is quite difficult about boundaries is it requires a lot of self-respect and you have to almost give yourself permission to have self-respect and to enforce those boundaries because you know what you're worth. How have you managed to do that? It's such a difficult thing to do in the first place. Yeah, I think having like cheerleaders around you that tell you, you know, you deserve this. Like when I was younger, my mum would be the person to say to strangers, don't say things like that or can you just stop staring or stuff like that. So... I suppose I've watched it even from being a toddler. So like when I was a baby, some strangers would start like covering me up with a blanket or whatever and being like, oh, she's cold. And like the thing about breaking bones is you get really warm, you know, like from the pain. So my mum would have to be like, can you not? She's boiling. But you know, then having to then explain why I'm boiling. Well, she didn't have to, but it's that cycle of people don't realise... By pushing boundaries, you're overstepping that intrusive thing. So, yeah, I've watched that from a really young age and thought, yeah, do you know what? That's what I want to do. I think that's why I'm so like I am. Yeah, your mum sounds like a proper queen, like a proper role model. (laughs) Yeah, she is. She's like an introvert version of me. (laughs) (laughs) That's hard to imagine. (laughs) I know. (laughs) 
Well, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like, we're both similar to me when we're in the house. Like, when we're out and about, she goes like introvert, and I'm more like bubbly and entertaining people. So, <laughs> we swap and change when we need it. It's great that you guys get on so well. So, Jem. We've waffled on a bit, but I think that was really, really great. So you have a condition called brittle bone. What is brittle bone and, and how does it affect you? So brittle bones is a genetic condition. It basically means that whatever chromosomes mum and dad had, whatever happened led to me. Um, there's the science, I've no idea. But just to put the picture out there, I'm three foot two. I've grown two inches over lockdown, which has been great. It means that I use a wheelchair 24-7. Well, not 24-7 because I go to bed, so, you know, take eight hours out. And, yeah, I can't put weight on my legs. And I've broken a lot of bones. Over about 300 bones, I've stopped counting now. Oh, my goodness. But when I do say that, it sounds shocking, but if you think about it, I've been on this earth for 27 years, so divide that up. And now it's probably, I'd say like one to two bad breaks a year. So it's not as dramatic as it sounds. But yeah, it's a condition where it fluctuates from one season to the next. Like winter time for me now is like the hardest time because you feel like the arthritis and the, all the bones that you've broken in the past, you start to feel those pains again. So I think for me, like summer, I feel amazing. And then it gets to winter and I'm like, oh god, here we go. So, yeah, it's something that I live with and I've got my good days and my bad days. But I try and share awareness of it, but also just share disability in general that I'm doing all right. Yeah. It's hard. It's really hard to summarise. I can imagine. I was looking up some, some stats before we were doing this. Uh, it's like one in 15,000 people have brittle bone so it makes there's less than five thousand people in the uk okay yeah because we do have a society and we meet like not everybody you know you can choose to come on up but that's an amazing time just to like get together with everybody and like chat and just feel really safe and talk about not just brittle bones but everything about life mm-hmm. um, so yeah it's a really nice community mm-hmm. i can imagine that being proper close-knit people really understanding each other's lives like no one else yeah this is it and it's like you don't have to explain anything you know the conversations that we'll have is like oh i've cracked a rib last week oh bloody hell what are you like you know like no one else can do that they'd be like what the hell you know so it's really nice just to be like oh how long do you think it'll be all for? Just the normal chit-chat that if I said it to a stranger, they'd be like, ooh, oh my God, are you okay? Do you need anything? Yeah, so it's it's nice. It's a pretty mad thing when you haven't got that perspective. I don't think I've broken any bones. In my, I may have, I broke my finger once. That is like the extent of all the bones that I've broken. So having broken 300 is... It's just a concept that I can't even fathom. And yet, you know, you speak of it as if it's like a walk in the park. Like, oh, I've done it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's hard because I don't want to come across as like, oh, it's easy because it isn't. But it, it, it's just my way of life. And sometimes the pain is really bad. But I think with the stereotype being, oh, it must be so hard being disabled... It's really hard not to play into that. I even now struggle with 
moaning, in quotes, because but if I moan and somebody says, oh god, it must be so hard, and I hate that, but then again, it's still nice to have a bit of sympathy, like you would if you had a headache. So, I'm still learning about that and trying to learn about talking to friends when the pain is bad and saying, do you know what, I'm not having a good day today. And being okay, you know, about saying that. Mm-hmm. The really good friends will be like, oh god, I hope it gets better. Let me know if you want to watch a film and just chill. Yeah, I can imagine that being really tough because when someone throws sympathy your way, they're ultimately saying that they care, aren't they? They're going, oh, you know, I want to look out for the gem, how are you getting on kind of thing. But at the same time, this is the reality that you're living. And so it could probably become across as quite patronising if that's what you're getting thrown all the time. And that must be really tough, especially when I find, particularly when we're dealing with a lot of mental health, there's a, a balance between throwing sympathy and wanting to help someone in that regard, but also knowing that they have to do the work themselves at the same time. And that can sound quite brutal. The reality of it is you can't walk the path for someone. You can only walk it with them. So in your position, that must be brutal. <laughs> like I can't even comprehend when you've broken a, a bone and yet you have to just carry on. Yeah. In some senses, in a really warped way though, I kind of, oh God, if I say this, don't give it to me tomorrow. But I prefer the traumatic breaks than, for example, like I've got a dodgy hip and sometimes that pain comes out. And explaining that is harder than, oh, I tripped over the other day and I hurt my arm. Because there's a story behind it. People are like, oh God, that's awful. Whereas if I just say, oh, I've got a bit of hip pain today, that's like chronic, continuous, it's really hard to manage that conversation because there's no reason why, there's no solution. It's just there. So yeah, I think it's explaining the different variations and what that means and how they can help me in certain ways. And sometimes when it's chronic, literally I just have to rest. So if I'm invited somewhere or there's a social or something, have to weigh up is this gonna make me feel good or is it gonna put me back a few days so it, it's constantly thinking what does this mean what's it gonna mean for next week what have I got for work it's trying to play out all the scenarios yeah it's complex yeah and I always think those chronic ones are the most exhausting because they're, they're there the whole time and that takes away a lot of the energy that you have for life. So venting on those ones, I can imagine, almost more important in some regards. Yeah, definitely. And it's like we said again, saving energy. So those boundaries link again, because if I'm having a day where I'm in pain, I can't be asked to talk to someone about, I don't know, how fast my wheelchair goes. I'm constantly saving that energy for the things and the people that I really want to be with and do so I think you have to be a little bit selfish in a really blunt way like I'm constantly just making sure I'm getting out of life what what whatever I want mm-hmm. yeah you have to be a good organizer of your life and a plan a plan b plan c you know right up to z <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. So, Jem, where did you grow up? Well, I don't know if you can tell, but I live in Yorkshire, West Yorkshire, in a little town called Pontefract, P 
people might know it's where Haribo is made. That's what I tell everyone. Yes. I'm all about Yorkshire, Yorkshire tea, everything. Anyone I've ever met from Yorkshire is all about Yorkshire. I <laughs> know, yeah. it's really cringe, isn't it? I'm not one of those people that's like, Yorkshire or nothing. I am a multi multicultural kind of girl. <laughs> but if you want to talk about Yorkshire, I'm the person to come to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That's amazing. Okay, James. So did you find school difficult growing up with your condition? Yeah, uh, so I went to mainstream school. I can't say I was academic. And I don't think that was disability or anything. I just, I was all about the people and the friends. I was more bothered about who was talking to who and trying to sort out people's problems. So yeah, I really enjoyed school. It was good. I think I found it like a journey almost as cringe as it sounds. I was still learning about myself, my disability. Yeah, and there's loads of different elements to it, like how I got on with the teachers, the workload. I'm waffling, but I don't know. Keep going. Ask me something else. <laughs> okay. Um, what's your earliest memory of using a power chair? Oh, yeah. That's a good one. So, I started using my chair when I was two years old. And I thought it was great. And I was going in circle. And my dad was like, why don't you try going forward? And I was like, nope. Just kept going in circles all the time. <laughs> Apparently, I was quite a good driver, which was cool. I did actually when I was a teenager, rip off a radiator, <laughs> like full on ripped it off and like hot water came out. Oh my days. So my friend was knocking on the door. I spun round to like go and go to the door. And yeah, I was like, no, <laughs> there's hot water everywhere. She was like, Christ, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, like, people which we feel sorry for you, but the stories, you know, that I've got of just being a child, like, anybody else, but, you know, ripping a radiator off the floor, like, uh, oh, God. That's incredible. <laughs> uh, An old bloody Victorian house as well, like, something that you don't damage. Oh, God. Anyway, that's that. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that being hilarious. So, uh, you write a blog isn't that correct yes i do i started when it was 2016 i started writing oh wow okay so you've been doing it for quite a while now yeah i um i started it i think when i'd broken a bone um shockingly (laughs) uh and i was bored i wanted something to do and i'd started on fashion and clothes and i thought this would be a cool idea and yeah, started from there and now it's just kind of grown into talking more about disability and reactions from people and um, perceptions and stuff. So yeah, it's uh, it's grown a little bit now. Mm, yeah, no, I was, it's amazing that it started off initially about fashion and not specifically around disabilities. What was it about fashion that appealed to you? Yeah, I think if I'm being really honest, it was me not knowing how to talk about disability straight away. I talk about identity quite a lot, and when I was young, I never really like went around being like, I'm disabled, and these are the issues that I face, because I was facing them without even subconsciously going through life and noticing barriers and stuff like that. But to me, fashion was a really friendly way, which is ridiculous, because you don't have to make 
activism nice and pretty for people you should just be able to share your experiences but yeah fashion for me was like making it a way for people to be like oh that's cool she's in a wheelchair she's enjoying life she likes to use fashion to make herself feel good and so yeah that's why it started really and I think eventually I was like let's stop talking about shoes let's get down to the you know this man said this to me the other day and it was ridiculous yeah it didn't take long to get into that <laughs> got my diary filled <laughs> like right this guy's gonna get it <laughs> I know I used to get taxis every day for work and very rarely I would say that I was a blogger but when I did some of the guys were like oh do you ever um write about your life and I knew they were like saying do you write about us and I was like yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely people are like oh my god be careful what you say to that girl let's get absolutely rinsed but you know you should be careful anyway it's true it's very true it's fantastic I read a lot of the articles on there and what you're saying about disability identity can you just expand on that yeah I think basically when you're young any kind of activism or like telling people that the world could be better in some way it comes across annoyingly and unfortunately as a little bit like i don't even want to say aggressive because that's the wrong word but like oh the world's terrible and negative and stuff like that but i think as i got older and i went to uni and i saw that like you know i had lectures where the lecture room wasn't accessible i couldn't get in and my lecturer was so upset and I had to comfort her about it. And I was just like, how weird is that, that she's got the power? You know, she's the lecturer and I'm having to comfort her and say, don't worry about it, you know, it happens. And actually, it's not okay. <laughs> like, if it was anybody else who wasn't allowed a room, it would be absolutely controversial. Mm -hmm. So I think those were the moments where I thought, Do you know what, people need to know about this. And who cares if somebody thinks that I'm being aggressive or whatever. Someone's got to say something and it's not going to be non-disabled people. So I think eventually I just sort of thought, this is the way to do it and I'm going to start doing it. Yeah, well, it's brilliant. You highlighting, you know, something like an incident like that is a massive perspective change for a lot of people. Well, that lecture is now just making it about her. <laughs> mm. Ultimately, she, as you said, should do something about it rather than taking that kind of victim side of the argument and it's like well why are you upset like this doesn't affect you at all yeah you're not the one missing the lecture <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah i think it was reniedo lodge's book or oh, i was listening to reniedo lodge's podcast and she talks about how she would do these sort of meet and greets and talk about racism and there were a lot of white people crying about how guilty they felt about racism and it just defeated the whole point. It's cringeworthy, really. But yeah, it's, it's amazing that I've had to go through all that kind of ordeal. Like, it seems so unfair. Yeah, it, it is. And like, you don't realise the amount of times that I do, not you, as in you and anyone listening, <laughs> but me, I don't realise how I do that all the time without even thinking. If I see somebody and I meet someone for the first time, and that could be like a doctor who I'm going to, could be potentially an embarrassing reason. We never like going to a doctor. But if they're nervous, I have to put on my entertaining, hello, yes, I've broken through the bones, hello. <laughs> when you just want to go in and be like, look, I've got this rash. I haven't got a rash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, don't pull on the podcast. But, you know, you just want to get on with it and, like, say, 
what you need to say, but I end up being this entertaining person to try and pull them in back into their normal self. So yeah, it's weird and that's ultimately why I do what I do because we all just need to be our standard selves with people. Mm -hmm, For sure. Because I think you're naturally a very funny person, but do you think you've used humour as almost like a a defence mechanism or like a a de-escalation mechanism? Oh yeah, definitely. And sometimes I hate myself for it. It is, it's just a coping mechanism and... Although it's natural, like, I'm not saying like, I'm naturally hilarious, but... <laughs> yeah, I think you're very funny, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am hilarious, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, yeah, it, I do use that. Like, I'll say the jokes that I hate, like, oh, watch your toes, because I think it'll help them relax. And then I'm like, you've just done what you tell people not to do and that's so annoying so i'll go home and be like god damn it so yeah i definitely use humor and i think i can't beat myself up about that because it's the way i do it and i just have to check myself sometimes and stop myself from going overboard Mm -hmm. but yeah it's it's a difficult one that i still haven't really managed yet i mean it's not always a bad thing though i read a lot of for like buddhism and sort of philosophy and things and one of my favorite philosophers i guess is alan watts and he talks about how comedy is almost at the heart of zen because it's laughing at the self and if you can laugh at the self then you're kind of mocking life and reality and it is all just a game and a and a joke and i think that is quite a nice idea that ultimately we are just here to live our existence and get through it and if you can make it light-hearted and and fun then you might as well yeah definitely I, I definitely agree with that and it's a really good way to connect with people as well in another sense if i'm trying to teach people not to do something if i tell them a story and it's funny but it's got a sort of message in between it's really powerful so i don't think humor's bad necessarily it's just if you start being somebody that you're not because you're doing it for them rather than doing it for yourself i'll get home and i'm exhausted because i've just poured my soul Mm -hmm. into something so yeah i think there's got to be a balance oh yeah definitely definitely on to the lighter subject of prejudice have you ever felt any kind of prejudice or stigmatization because of your condition Oh, God, yeah. There's quite a few layers. I think the main one for me is being treated younger than I am. Being three foot two, you get people who are like, I love you, all right? Oh, bless you, ain't you lovely? Again, it's it's trying to persuade them. I feel like a salesperson to be like, actually, I'm not. I'm this and da, da, da. So, yeah, I get that quite a lot, and I think it does affect the way that you try and be yourself because you're not treated like the person that you want to come across as. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense. And I think that must be so difficult. You must feel that people see your chair before they see you. Yeah, definitely. And there's a weird stereotype that you either don't know what you're on about, you need somebody to make decisions for yourself, or you need sympathy. And I think... That's why I'm fiercely a little bit blunt sometimes because I have to tell people I don't need you to tell me what to do. Unfortunately, I say that to my mum and dad as well, which doesn't go down well. (laughs) 
And one the other day, the cold and it ridiculously stubborn. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like I constantly have to tell people I am not that stereotype that you've got in your head. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of other disabled people feel that too. It's very common that we all are just trying to live life without people you know, patting us on the head or saying, oh, bless. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things, but I think that's the main one for me because... It affects who I am as well. Like I'm 27, when if somebody says, like, oh, have you got a crush? Shut up. I'm 27. Stop treating me. You know what I mean? So it definitely does affect the way that I am as a person, but I try and just keep being me. Oh, definitely. I think being the authentic self is, is so difficult, but absolutely vital. So when you're feeling like the world is, is squashing you because of all of this stigmatization and having to deal with ignorant people i guess what do you do to pick yourself up because that must be incredibly difficult when you're dealing with it on a daily basis i think my home is my like safety my haven really so as soon as no matter what kind of a day i've had as soon as i get in it's like oh that's better because i'm lucky that i've got good family and i think the main thing is like talking about it so if someone said something ridiculous i'll be like guess what's happened and mum's a really good person just to be like never oh my god if I were there bum 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 (laughs) we just have it out and it it does help and I think you do have to process it you have to think about it for me anyway I think if you bottle it up it can collect over time Um, so yeah I think just processing it even sometimes I I'll be in bed and I'll be like I should have said this and I should have said that and then it helps or if it happens again I'm prepared. So yeah, there's a lot. And then self-care, really. Just look after myself, have nice baths, get back grounded again, ready for whenever I go out again. I can imagine that being pretty exhausting. What you're saying about self-care, I completely agree. Ground yourself, reset, and get ready to go again. So you also went to uni. What did you study at uni? What were your sort of academic interests? I did new media, because I thought I, want, I wanted to be a radio presenter. So I basically made it being on a podcast. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Gem FM. Yeah. Um, but there's already a Gem FM out there, did oh, you know? Right. Should we go knock them on the head? Yeah, just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we need to talk. So, yeah, I did new media. And I've got to be honest, I didn't really go because I wanted to do new media. I went because I wanted to learn independence and learn life without having family around all the time and it was just amazing to just learn different skills and go out every night if I wanted to and I went from like never going to a friend's house to having my own little flat that people could come around and it's just amazing to just have that experience. You're right and I think university is that for a lot of people isn't it it's that first time they are effectively independent uh, and choosing the things that they want to do on their own. It certainly was the same for me at least and last time we spoke a lot about friends uh, and the importance of friends so do you feel you've had to lean on your friends and things like that? Yeah definitely but I think the one thing about friends is that it's a really equal friendship for all of us i think when people think about disabled people they think about their friends being their carers and if you saw some of my mates they're definitely not my carers (laughs) 
uh, and I'd be worried if there were my carers. No offence, anybody listening? I've got a really good group of friends. I think the specific friends that I hold on to, I have to be able to be myself, like we were saying. I don't want to become the joker. Of course I make them laugh, but I'm myself, and they make me laugh. But I also help them in ways, as I said, their agony aunt. I'll tell them if the boyfriend's being a douche and do something about it. I don't know whether I should say douche. Boyfriend's being an ass. Can put that in. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I help them as much as they help me, and I've got a really nice friend group, and we'll go out and go to clubs, and they form circles around me so that no accidents happen and. I've fallen out, nearly fallen out of my chair and my friend's taken me to A&E. There's so many different stories that I've had and my friends just know what to do in that situation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I suppose there were my camera that night when it all happened. But you know, we've all got stories like that. It's very true. Yeah, I liked what you were saying earlier about surrounding yourself with sort of cheerleaders, people who, you're your support network, aren't they? And I can imagine you being a very good agony on how you are able to just enforce your boundaries and call people out for their bullshit then and there so i bet your friends really respect that in you do you think because of your condition that you've been able to develop skills in other areas such as boundaries and things yeah i think so i think i definitely try and teach them boundaries i'm not saying like i'm the queen of them but <laughs> try and try and tell them what i do i think I wouldn't be as confident as I am if I didn't have a disability personally. Because, as I said, you need to be able to tell people what you think. And I think some people think, oh my God, like, I could never do that. Like, my friends will say that to me. It's so interesting that you think that your condition has given you more confidence. Oh yeah, I think so, definitely. Like when I was saying at school, I was really, really shy. But I think as soon as I learn how to well I kind of flipped it around so not to bore you but the social model of disability if anybody's not heard of it it's basically that you are disabled because of your environment not because of mm-hmm. who you are as a person so I think as soon as I learned that it's not my fault that I couldn't get into the lecture room it's the building that's not accessible so when you start to flip that around you start to feel more confident that you're not the burden, you're not the person that's, in quotes, trouble and troublemaker like everyone used to say at school. It's actually, society's not caught up yet with accessibility and, yeah, people need to sort themselves out. <laughs> and as soon as you learn that, you're like, yeah, actually, I do deserve to be here and doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I think you're so right. Until that perspective is unlocked, it goes unseen by so many people. And I think that's the importance of podcasts like this, blogs like the one you have, because it really enlightens people on that very fact. We live in an unequal world that isn't accessible to everyone. And that is from not having access to buildings, to systemic racism, to systemic sexism. And yet, if you're in a privileged position, it just completely goes unseen. So I think it's amazing that you're championing that because I can't imagine it's exactly easy when you've had to see it from the other side. As you said, before you understood that model, 
you would have taken that on board personally. That must have been brutal. Yeah, it is. It's so unhealthy. That's why I'm constantly shouting about it now, because especially when you're a teenager, you've got all those hormones anyway. Then you're thinking, why can't I do everything like everybody else? I don't know. I just think, like, the more we learn about how to be inclusive, the less people will struggle mentally thinking that they don't belong when that's absolutely not the case. It's a difficult one. There's, there's a long way to go. It's not just me, there's so many other bloggers and intersectional bloggers who are talking about it's like being black and disabled and LGBT and you know there's so many voices that we need to listen to and I just hope that one day we start flipping that switch and saying what is it about this building what can we do to make sure everybody can get in but yeah I think we're a long way but hopefully we're getting a little bit closer. Certainly I think we are I mean it's a difficult one because I often think are we getting better or am I just surrounding myself and people who are more like-minded, more liberal? I don't want to use the word woke, but you know what I mean? That kind of thinking outside the <laughs> box a bit more. And it infuriates me when I come across someone who has these blinkers on, almost won't accept it or doesn't understand it. And, you know, we're all guilty of this. I'm far from perfect. In fact, it's taken me to do this podcast, really, to almost understand different people's points of views, to really understand how privileged my life is. Mm. But I think it's great. I think that, you know, the more we have these conversations, the more we put out there, the, the, the better it's going to be. That moves nicely on to what are the do's and don'ts of talking about disability? Oh, that's a good question. I actually wrote a blog on this. I would say, first of all, don't be afraid to say the word disabled. I speak about this a lot, but basically, you won't believe the amount of people that say, like, different words and phrases just to shimmy around it. So, like, specially abled and uniquely able. Best one is you're just sat down, and I'm like, that is absolute rubbish. Mm Mm-hmm. That's really not wanting to say disabled at all. So, yeah, it's really important to do that. And just remember it's a globally known term. Like, everybody uses it. Yes, people have different opinions, but just try and work around your thoughts about that. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I would say don't sympathise. We've touched on this quite a lot, but I think the sad reason is that people look at wheels and think oh bless that must be so hard but you could say that about anybody you don't know what anybody's story is but you're just looking at the wheels and assuming that people have had a hard life most of the time I am a very happy person unless I'm hungry or anybody else we all have ups and downs so yeah try not to sympathize with people and another one is just encourage people to do the best that they want to be have goals have achievements that you want to do because if it wasn't for like my parents who were like we want you to do whatever makes you happy that was when I was like right I want to be in the media I want to meet loads of people and share different stories and stuff like that so yeah I think people expect disabled people as long as they can eat sleep do whatever then that's enough when actually Mm -hmm. We want to be out and about and enjoy life, so 
yeah, encourage as much as you can. Yeah, you've touched on so many points there. Is I'd almost come across from the, the other angle, the other side of things where I am an incredibly abled person. I do a lot of sports, very physically active, but almost people would label that as, oh, he's fine. You know, his life is great. And when I was really, really depressed, I needed support more than anything that, that ever. You know, like I was in such a hole. And yet you have the strength of character and the confidence to absolutely own your life and put other people in their place when they need to be put there. It is just judging a book by its cover. We're not taking the time to really understand an individual. And I completely agree with the whole sort of encouraging people for different walks of life because, for example, for, for me, I get huge amounts of stage fright. Like, I literally struggle to talk in front of groups at all. I get so nervous. And again, it's just one of those things. It's, it's a massive misunderstanding of like you see this sort of confident young man and you think, oh, he can, he can do this. And it's like, well, again, you're labelling and can imagine it being unbelievably frustrating when someone's sympathizing you when you're like whoa <laughs> i don't need this like i'm owning this already <laughs> i don't always do that I, just to say i don't always go around being like you're an idiot <laughs> sometimes i just can't be bothered i don't want to come across as this little chihuahua <laughs> that just shouts at everyone to to sort of go with that if i'm out with somebody else you can guarantee that if i'm getting any kind of customer service the person will always talk to whoever i'm with all the time even if i say i'm looking for a new phone can you help me upgrade my phone even if we've had that direct dialogue they'll reply to my friend and say so i think she needs this phone and i'm like Mm -hmm. hello we might do that for like three times until i say can i just ask why why are you not looking at me? And my phone might not have a clue what the phone does, but I'm the technical person who can talk about how many gigabytes and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think you're right about the label. It's You have absolutely no clue what that person's knowledge or what they're going through. You know, there are people that can walk who have got brittle bones, mm-hmm. and that's a complete different experience because they can't tell people that they're brittle. Mm-hmm. They've just got to be careful and stuff like that. So, anyway, I've diverted there, but yeah. Well, I think it's so important. As you say, it's a whole different perspective change. And the ignorance, or people's ignorance, I don't think they realise how damaging that can be sometimes. And we can't help it. Okay, that's what's frustrating is you can help it. You can go educate yourself and, and do something about it. So what would you say to someone who's wanting to learn more about sort of disabilities in general there's so many resources out there blogs youtube i think it's about completely looking at what your normal is and thinking about the disabled people around you if you do have disabled people around you thinking could they access this whether that's at work or if you go into a shop and are the aisles quite narrow could somebody in a wheelchair turn round and stuff like that? I think it's just the everyday stuff that's expected. Because a lot of people will be like, oh, it's fine now, isn't it, for wheelchair users? It's illegal if it isn't. And I'm like, yeah, but it isn't. Still got old buildings that don't have lifts. There's no 
collective urge to have accessibility. But I would say to somebody is like, look at those everyday things. Disability is such a wide spectrum. I'm a wheelchair user, but you've got blind people, deaf, hard of hearing, invisible disabilities. There's so many things and factors that I don't know everything either, so I'm learning constantly. Just that expectation that not everybody's the same as you and not everybody's what you think they are, like we've just discussed. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. And you have to constantly privilege check because we all have privilege to some degree or another. Yeah. And it's just recognising that and then spotting it when someone doesn't have the same privilege as you. Incredibly hard and incredibly humbling. But I think when we first met, we were part of the Let's Talk event and talking all about disabilities. Uh, And I think things like that are amazing. You know, getting loads of people together to give voice to these uh, issues that aren't going addressed otherwise. In that event, actually, you spoke about allies what is an ally and and what do you mean by an ally an ally to me is kind of what we just discussed about learning more and i think everything that i've talked about today about using my energy constantly and an ally to me is somebody who just picks that up a little bit for me so say me and my friend are going out for something to eat friend might check what the access is like and they might ring the restaurant and say, are you step free and stuff like that. So there's a whole many different ways you can be, be an ally, but it's just being aware of the barriers that disabled people have and trying to decrease them as much as you can. Or just being aware of them. You don't have to solve everything. I have one friend who, when I'm out, and if say if somebody's staring really hard, she'll all of a sudden get a little bit taller, she'll stand in front of me and like block their view. So to me, that's just a really good way of being an ally and a friend to take that away from me a little bit. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there are so many ways you can be a good ally. She sounds like a good friend. (laughs) Yeah, she is. Sometimes I tell her off because she's like, hi, sir, is there anything you need or are you just going to carry on? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh. Savage. But you know, someone's got to do it. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Okay, and what advice would you give to someone who is struggling with a disability? So I would say, like, obviously, I try and share positivity when I can, but it's not all rainbows and clouds. Hopefully I've given a balanced view, but I would say, first of all, like, just accept that things aren't great. I think the worst thing to do is, as I said, like, put the blame on yourself because it's not it's either situational or through the environment and stuff like that so accept it try and tell people that are closest to you about what you're feeling and can you talk about what makes things easier is there anything that triggers it so for me I have what I call a people detox if I've had a really hard day where people have just asked ridiculous questions and I just think, God, what what is going on? I'll come home and just, as I said, just chill out. Yeah, so I would say, find out what's going on. And it's not linear, unfortunately. Like, you might have a really bad month, year or whatever, and then it might get a little bit better. And then, So you've just got to try and ride the wave, but try and see what resources are out there as well, because there's probably a community that 
you can look to that are very similar. Hopefully you can share like similar experiences as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's solid advice. What advice would you give to someone wanting to help someone with a disability? Ooh. So I have this thing about if you want to help somebody, just check first that they actually want help. Because there are some people out there that get a little bit of a buzz when they help disabled people, like it's their good deed for the day. So just check in with that person and make sure that they actually do want help. And, you know, communication. Just ask what that friend needs. They might be like me, an incredibly stubborn, (laughs) who will try it at least six times. And then if I can't do it, I'll be like, yeah, you know, maybe that offer of help might be useful (laughs) um, if you want to. So, yeah, I think I much prefer the term assistance or assist because help, I think, comes with connotations that someone's doing something for you, whereas assisting is like, you want to do it, but you just need a bit of assistance Mm -hmm. to do it. Just check in with that person. I'm sure they'll tell you what they want, and if you're close to that person, you'll probably know. Mm -hmm. You mentioned there, almost talking about language. I think language is really, really important. I think it's often something that's quite difficult to get right as well. Personally, being quite dyslexic, I have a limited vocab a lot of the time, uh, and I'm always worried about causing offence when I'm meaning to be kind and generous. Do you have anything to say about language? I'm majorly interested in language, just because I think it can change a sentence really easily, and I can totally appreciate that sometimes it don't just don't happen, and conversations happen and it can get a bit sticky and we end up being like oh no I didn't mean that and stuff like that but I would say the most important thing is just again checking in with people about what they prefer so for me like my main key terms are wheelchair user my name (laughs) sometimes people get wrapped up in what language they can use but unless you like filling a form in about your medical stuff Be as vague as possible, disability and conditions and stuff like that, because if you try and be really complex, the harder it's going to be. But yeah, communication again is key. Just make sure you ask that person. And just remember that some really old school terms like handicapped, which I like, toe curl. (laughs) Toe curl, did you say? Like, you know, like you cringe so much. (laughs) Um, Amazing. It's that intention thing, so people think, oh, they didn't mean it, so it's fine, but I try and sort of show that even if you didn't mean it, you might have made someone's day really bad or Mm -hmm. upset them. And again, like we've talked about, it's just being empathetic that if you can change your language to be a bit more welcoming, then why not? I know that it's, it's easier said than done, but I think the best people are just the people who are like, oh, does this sound about right? And then we just carry on. I think a willingness to learn is so important and acknowledging your mistakes as well. Yeah. I think that's why I really appreciate my friends who call me out when they think I've said something wrong or something uh, incorrect or whatever. And they just then and there just go, Connor, I don't think that was right. Or I don't think you should have said that. Then it allows me to sort of register, oh yeah, actually, that was probably maybe a bit, ignorant or a bit hurtful or whatever it might be and then I can correct it going forward 
and I think again it, it is all, all it is is discomfort isn't it like all you have to deal with is is the discomfort of you've been you've been told off or told that you're wrong and then as you say you can learn and you can go forward and a pinch of humility is is really important to that but like you said it's not easy making sure that you correct yourself going forward i think is is very important yeah and saying that to sometimes i have to do that to people that are older than me which is hard to do or Mm -hmm. like the lecturer i was talking about like who wants to tell your lecturer off no one so there are times where it just might not feel comfortable and that's okay so um it's a learning curve it really is a learning curve so Jem, how can people find your blog and how can they follow you on various social medias well my website is gemturner.com twitter is gem underscore turner and instagram is the same i don't have many instagram followers so if you want to follow me that'd be great (laughs) sound but yeah i'm somewhere in in the world if you type type me on google fantastic well thank you so much for coming on the show like i feel like every time i've spoken to you it's been really powerful i feel like we've really really connected and i think you're very wise and hilarious so thank you so much for for coming on thank you very much no i've enjoyed it it's uh it's always good to have a natter and i think we did the panel together and as i was saying i felt like even with different experiences we've had very similar things happen and Mm -hmm. sometimes you just connect so thank you very much it's been great it's brilliant no thank you back to sick connor i hope you enjoyed this episode and learned a few things i certainly did i think Gemma has an amazing way of articulating herself and is a very fun bubbly person if you get a chance check out her blog and follow her on twitter and things i'm sure she'd really appreciate the support let us know what you think of the episode on the brain dump facebook group or get in touch via twitter in other news i've been thinking of redoing the brain dump intro I know, controversial, and has been there since the beginning, but it is also just absolute garbage, as I made it just off what I could do from my own limited skill set at the time. But if you have any ideas or opinions on what the new intro should sound like, I'd really appreciate your feedback. Um, but until then, take care and stay safe.